Wonderful. Well, I want to share with you our vision, but before I do that, I just want to give you a little bit of feedback. Earlier in the year, you may remember that we gave opportunity for you to speak into the future of Bayside Church, and you were asked to uh, just give some feedback of one, two, maybe three things that you would like to see in the future of Bayside, and um, we have then compiled all of those things, and uh, some really interesting themes have developed from that. So we had uh, 310 people across the two campuses respond to this, and we had 468 responses, um, which is absolutely fabulous. And so we have a diagram that we're going to put up on the, um, the screen for you, and this shows the results of what you guys um, have, have said. And so the majority um, wanted something to do with equipping of God's people, um, and then second to that were um, things that reflect the mercy and justice of God. And so across, and you can see there are other things there, including the other category, which I will mention in just a moment, um, that uh, three things were really highlighted, and I love the fact, you know, we've been talking about this for years, that Bayside is one church in two locations. Um, in the future, it will be one church in three locations, then four locations, and so on, as we pioneer campuses all around the Bayside area of Melbourne. And uh, what I love is seeing the, um, the uh, agreement between the two congregations even though we're 30 minutes apart, um, we are of one heart, and that rhymes, and that's a really good statement, so you'll remember that. And so, these same themes resonated, Saturday night congregation, Sunday morning congregation at Cheltenham, Sunday morning congregation here, and so, number one uh, out of the three things were acts of love, mercy, and grace that express Christian faith in action, 25% of our church family said that that was a priority to them and they want to see initiatives that reflect that over the next three years. Number two was equipping the saints, equipping of God's people through teaching, learning, seminars, Bible study and preaching, that was 23%. And then at number three, activities of fellowship to improve relationships, caring and inclusion among God's people. And so what we're going to do, we're kind of splitting our vision weekend this year. So part one is today and part two will be the first weekend of February when we actually give to you the initiatives. And so we're going to roll out initiatives for next year and they will build in 2021 and 2022. We're calling it Devote Three. We're devoting ourselves to these three things for three years. And that's years 28, 29 and 30 of Bayside Church. And so in 2022, Christy and I will have um, not just pioneered, but led this church for three decades, which is not too shabby, you know, and, and, and the fact that I am still relatively sane <laughs> on most days uh, is, is, is just a, a, miracle, <laughs> a miracle in and of itself, but no, all joking aside, we're still going strong, and I'm looking forward to this next three years as we see these initiatives roll out through our church. And so some of them will be um, internal, where, where we look at strengthening the bonds of fellowship and connection in our church family, of inclusion of new people. Um, and then obviously as we look beyond uh, the church community, that we are indeed a church without walls as we spill into our local community here 
and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the other things that were mentioned, these were the more minor things, um, and, but just as important, okay? And these things also will be a focus. Evangelism aimed at introducing people to Jesus Christ. And that is my heart's cry. You know, I love caring for God's people, but my, my, my job in life is not to appease the reached. Hear me. Yeah, I, I want to see people saved. I want to see people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Am I in good company today? I thought I might be. Amen. Uh, number two of these um, other themes, comfort ideas to improve the facilities and convenience in Bayside. Uh, we're going to have coffee from next weekend. Yes. How good is that? We're going to be the Latte Day Saints. Big sign out the front. Worship ideas to enhance the worship experience at Bayside. Uh, vision statements looking toward the future. Uh, we've had some prayer suggestions, and that is certainly something we want to see deepen in the life of our church, our prayer, and then growth ideas as well. Many of these have been, are being, or will be addressed, and, and I've, got, I've got lots of these sheets here full of the ideas that you've given us feedback on. Uh, some of them are encouraging. So, for example, one lady said to me, keep doing what you're doing, which is nice, isn't it? Um, someone said leadership and discipleship courses, and they're actually currently being written, and we'll tell you more about that early in the new year. We're going to have a whole discipleship pathway introduced next year at Bayside. Uh, strategic plan for Bayside Community Care, and that's something that Christy and Amy Butler, who heads up Bayside Community Care, and Amelia Pickering are uh, currently talking about and working on. And then there's some funny ones as well. And I am told this came from a member of Frankston, fried chicken every Sunday. Was that Terence, was it? Yeah, good on you, mate. I'm with you. I'm with you. Because quite I mean, if we eat, all eat fried chicken every week, that will equal church growth. So one of the statements there is vision statements that look toward the future, and that's what I want to share with you uh, today. But before I do that, I just want to, I'm so glad the audio is working. We, we only had pictures early, earlier, so well done, you guys. Um, but I want to show you this clip. We've, this, over the last few weeks, we've had two guest ministries. We had Lynette Tobin, uh, and then we had Adam Taylor, and both of them either prophesied or spoke into our vision statement. And I was so encouraged. I'm sitting there listening, going, oh my goodness, because we don't tell them anything, especially prophets. You never tell a prophet anything. I just, when I meet a prophet, I always say, you're well, how am I? <laughs> so you never, bit delayed reaction there, Em. <laughs> and so you never tell a prophet anything. And, and so the fact that Lynette got up and started prophesying our vision was really encouraging. So have a look at this. Thanks, guys. See, I believe that this church, I love this church, as you all know. I love the pastors and the leaders with all my heart, and I have for a long time. But you know, and it's been a great season. I didn't know they had a new vision coming up. But all I've been getting for a lot is that the seed for the last season was great. But God's got a new seed. He's got a new season for you. And this season is going to be a season where we need to be strong, where we need to be courageous 
and we need to be bold. This is a season when we need to stand together, shoulder to shoulder, honouring people, honouring the older, honouring the youngers, but an honouring church like never before. You're going to see it such amazing, and I just don't say things for the sake of it, but when I, before I come out, I could see amazing things happening. You're going to see so much freedom in people's life. You're going to see so much growth. But you're going to see so much fruit is what I'm getting. You're going to see so much fruit in this church. But I said, I'm not quite sure at what meeting, but in a, in a verse in Habakkuk, he said, Jesus says this. He says, God says this, I am your personal bravery. So I believe that God is our personal bravery. Amen? So what I want you all to do is to put your hand up here, where you like that, and put on your personal bravery badge. Amen? Who's got their personal bravery badge on? And you're probably thinking, oh, what's going to happen? I have to be so brave. But you know what? It takes bravery to be obedient to God. It takes bravery to have mind changes. It takes bravery to be really listening to God. It takes bravery to do what he's asking us to do. It takes bravery to give up our time. It takes bravery to give up our opinion and happen to listen to somebody else. So people, wear that personal bravery badge. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Healing the body requires that we overcome division with love. Love is the only capable force of turning an enemy into a friend. And where public policy may fail, God's love wins. Where relationships may be broken, God's love repairs. Where there is hurt and abandonment, God's love heals. Yes, my brothers and my sisters, it is time to love more courageously. Sometimes we get complacent when it comes to healing the body. We get complacent when it comes to showing the courageous love that will overcome some of the divisions that divide us. And when we do, we cause harm to the body. And so, my brothers and my sisters, it is time for us to show equal concern for each other. It is time for us to embrace our interdependence. It is time for us to protect the most vulnerable in our midst. And in the process, I believe that we will start to yank pieces of heaven and bring it close to earth. When we heal the body, we will start acting as though the heaven that we are called to live into can be experienced in the here and now. And so I want to encourage you, Bayside, that it is time to heal the body, not just in this church, but all across this nation and world. Isn't that encouraging? I love that. You know, two really wonderful prophetic words speaking into the life of Bayside Church. And, you know, I'm sitting on the front row going, oh my goodness, they just mentioned it again. Um, you might have picked it up, the, the, the talking about bravery, courage, and, and courageous love. And uh, over the last few months, we've been uh, working together as a ministry team, uh, discussing this and really kind of looking at Bayside stories, Bayside history, uh, where we are today and the future that we believe God has for us. And uh, over those few months, we've been able to work all of that into one statement, which really encapsulates the heart of Bayside Church. And that's our vision statement 
that we are going to use moving forward, and you can put that up on the screen, and it's simply this, to courageously love and empower people to become like Jesus. Amen. Isn't that a great statement? To courageously love and empower people to become like Jesus. And I'm going to teach into that today. I also want to share with you our mission statement, and I'm just going to make a couple of comments on this um, and then get back to the vision statement. But our mission as Bayside Church is to be a Christian community who work together for justice, mercy, and faith. And so that's the kind of the how-to um, as, we, as we move forward. And everything that we do as a church will come out of and reflect these two statements. Our mission statement is based on Matthew 23, 23. Um, just have a look at that. It says, what sorrow Jesus is teaching here. He's talking to the religious leaders of his day, and he's literally tearing strips off them. Uh, what Jesus, I'm sorry, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus here is not saying we shouldn't tithe. He says you should tithe, yes, but what he is saying is putting it into perspective. Tithing's important, but it's not the most important thing. In a church community, for followers of Jesus, we are to focus on things like justice, mercy, and faith. Let me just give you three definitions very quickly for these three things. Justice is simply deciding to do right by other people. Not, not complex. Not easy, but not complex. Deciding to do right by others. Mercy is active compassion. So it's not sympathy. Sympathy just looks at a situation and goes, oh, isn't that a shame? You know, oh, that's a pity that is, you know. Half my family, by the way, are Cockneys. They were born in London and we all talk like that, you know what I mean? And when we got together for Christmas, we all sounded like a bunch of Jamie Olivers. <laughs> but fortunately, thanks to my career in radio, I've been able to learn how to speak without a Cockney accent. But I can slip into it anytime I want to. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, sympathy just looks and goes, ain't that a shame? And then just walks away. Uh, mercy looks and, and it's active compassion. And it says, right, you've got a need. How can I help? How can I make a difference? And that's what we reflect here at Bayside Church. And then faith. Justice, mercy, and faith. Faith is constancy of belief in Jesus and the gospel. The word faith there can be uh, translated as faithful or faithfulness or literally loyalty. And as a church, we have been, we are, and we always will be loyal to the good news of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the undiluted gospel, which includes justice and includes mercy. But today I want to focus on the vision statement and teach into it, and then in the new year I'll do a, a teaching series on this, uh, to courageously love and empower people to become like Jesus. If you're taking notes, the title of the message is Be Like That, not, you know, I'll be like that, as in all right then, but rather be like that, and you'll see why I've called it that a little bit later 
in today's message. I'm going to split our vision statement in two, and I'm going to begin by looking at to courageously love. And, and I've been reflecting on this for a few months now. This has not been the easiest year uh, for us as a church. It's not been the easiest year uh, for the ministry leaders and pastors of Bayside Church. We have come across many hurdles and opposition and all sorts of things uh, as we've led this church over the last year or two. Um, and the thing I've noticed about courageous love is it actually takes courage. Because the natural inclination in me, I don't know if you find this, or maybe it's just something about myself, is that whenever there's trouble and difficulty, I'm looking for the escape route. Anyone else? Yeah? There's like four of us. I am so glad. I was thinking I was the only one. I am so glad I'm not on my own. But the rest of you, I know you've arrived. You've got, you're there, right? So the thing about courageous love is it takes courage. So this stuff's really easy to preach. But then, you know, when, when you announce it, all hell breaks loose, and so, but that's all right. So, we courageously have championed a lot of things here at Bayside, and I'm not going to cover all of them, but I want to I pick on some of the stands out, standouts. Um, the first one is that we courageously champion the ministry of women, and, and understanding that this, yeah, you can put your hands together, absolutely. It's good to see some of the guys clapping then. And, 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 you know, the thing is that and we might think that the church has arrived on this issue. It still hasn't arrived, okay? This, is, this has been a 100-year journey. It was 100 years ago that, that women were allowed to vote in some countries. And so, there's still a journey. There are still whole denominations where a woman cannot be ordained. There's still many churches and, and, uh, and uh, denominations where a woman is not allowed to preach, uh, a dear friend of ours who's a, a female pastor, she was, just re she was telling us recently that she was invited to speak at a church where they don't allow women to teach and she was given strict instructions that she could only tell stories. I mean, how, you know, I mean, it's laughable, really. Don't teach, just tell stories. I think someone said the same thing to Jesus. So she went along and told stories and, of course, she was teaching you know, but how we split hairs. And it's all based on two verses from the Bible. We'll put these on the screen for you. The first is 1 Corinthians 14.34, and it says, Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? You know, I have people say to me on a regular basis, the Bible clearly says... And you know, on some things the Bible is clear, but if the Bible was clear on everything, there wouldn't be 40,000 different Christian denominations and movements in the world today. Just a thought. But it looks clear on, on first read. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul writing again, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Now, of course, I'm married to Christy. And, and, and uh, for Christy to be silent would be a modern-day miracle. <laughs> and those of you who know my wife know how true that is. Wonderful. So we've had the courage here at Bayside to dig a bit deeper into the context and background of these verses and don't believe that they are a blanket ban on women speaking, teaching, or ministering in the church for all time and in all places. Uh, Melanie, if you just put up that previous verse, 1 Corinthians 14, 34... 
I just want to show you something really quickly, just to open your eyes on this. It's really important. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. Now, this is often taken as being the Jewish law. See, the Jewish law says it's not the Jewish law. You cannot find one verse in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament. Nowhere does it say that a woman should remain silent. doesn't say it anywhere. Paul's not talking about the Jewish law. He's actually talking about Roman law. He's talking about civil law, the law of the land. And so he's speaking into culture here. And basically, he's saying, under our law... It's not lawful for a woman to speak in a public meeting. Uh, let me read something to you. It was lawful for men to, uh, for it was lawful for men in public assemblies to ask questions or even interrupt a speaker when there was any matter in his speech which they did not understand. But this liberty was not granted to women. And so all he's saying here, the law says women should remain silent, and we're going to reflect that in the church. Of course, as the church started to develop and through the New Testament Scriptures, you start to see uh, women ministers, and in different places, it was okay to have a woman minister. And today, there are some countries where a woman preaching the gospel would actually work against the gospel. But here in Australia, not allowing women to preach the gospel is working against the gospel. And that's how we need to see this. And at Bayside, we've got the courage to look at it and, 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 and look at it in fresh eyes. We've been courageous to champion singleness here at Bayside Church. Let's hear it from all my single people here today. All right, there's, there's a few of you. Okay. You know, I look, and some of you might want to get married, and that's fine. But can I tell you, I reckon that the church in Australia has become obsessed over marriage. We've focused on it so much that we've actually turned marriage into an idol. Or at least we're in danger of doing that if we're not careful. We have people in our church community that are single or single again. And let me say loud and clear, you are not second-class citizens. I got married when I was 34. I was a late starter, a late bloomer. I was just waiting for Christy, okay? She's 10 years younger than I am. When I was uh, a young man praying for a wife, she was still in primary school. <laughs> so I had to wait, right? 34. And the pressure on me as an eligible young bachelor was huge, particularly little old ladies. They'd come to me on a regular basis, you know, and if ever I saw, if ever they saw me with a woman, they, they'd, they'd think, you know, coffee leads to sex in the church. You know, it's like, you're having a coffee, you must be sleeping together. Crazy, you know. It's like, oh, are you getting married? Hang on a sec, she's a friend. And all of this pressure. Weddings were the worst. These, these ladies, they'd come up to me and after the service, they'd go, you'll be next. You'll be next. I used to get them back at funerals. pressure was huge. How crazy is that? You know, singleness, I actually believe that the single life is the highest calling that a Christian can follow. Jesus and Paul are the two main voices in the New Testament, and they were both single men. 
Jesus was asked one day in Matthew, 14, uh, Matthew 19, he was asked about divorce and remarriage, and he gave some really tough teaching there uh, about divorce and remarriage. You can have a look at it. And, and, and the disciples were so blown away at the at the, um, the height of his teaching or the, the strength of his teaching, they, they said, well, maybe it's better not to marry. And Jesus didn't disagree with them. And then he talked about three types of single people uh, in Matthew chapter 19. Paul, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, he, he allowed marriage for people who couldn't control themselves. He said, it's better to marry than to burn with lust. Yeah. He said, I wish everyone was like me, single. He said, if you can't control yourself, go and get married. Isn't that fascinating? That's in the Holy Scriptures, and yet the church has taken uh, marriage and elevated it uh, way beyond it was ever meant to be. Now, don't get me wrong here. I am not anti-marriage. I am married. Many of you are married. Praise God for that. Be faithful to your husband. Be faithful to your wife. Uh, Remind yourself of your vows on a regular basis. Some people that we have in our community here, your marriage has ended for whatever reason. You're not a second-class Christian as a result of that. I don't believe anyone goes into marriage thinking that it's a 10-year contract with an option to extend. I think we all go in thinking this is going to be for life now, but for whatever reason, some marriages don't end well and some marriages just end. And, and if that's your case, then you're not second class in this church or in the kingdom of God. But let's get things right and let's be courageous and let's not put pressure on the single people in our church. Let's cheer them on and, and bring them into our families. Amen. We've been courageous in speaking up for LGBTI people and others who are often left on the margins of the Christian church or are simply just not welcome. It would be easier not to do these things. It would be simpler to swim with the tide of other Christian churches, but we are not called to be like most other churches. We have a unique calling, an often unpopular mission. We are not here to appease the reached. Bayside Church exists to love courageously. Amen. I asked our ministry leaders a few weeks ago for some statements on what they love about the courageous love of Bayside Church. Here's what they said. We value young and old and everyone in between. I love that about our church. I love looking at the worship team this morning, you know, and we got Haley and and Rod, you know, young and old. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? And the harmonies this morning were absolutely stunning. I was really enjoying those. We're not afraid to slaughter sacred cows. I love a good barbecue. Amen. We get involved in things that are not sexy. We value innovation rather than imitation. We release people into their God-given ministries. We're not afraid to get our hands dirty. We speak truth to power, particularly our advocacy for Andrew Chan and Mayuran Sukumaran, and, of course, our voice against the death penalty. And more recently, Christie's meeting with a federal MP to give input on the religious discrimination legislation. All of these and a whole lot more are ways that we have been courageous, courageous love. As we embrace the future together, I promise you that Christie and I and Bayside Church will continue to courageously express God's amazing love to a world He adores and for whom Jesus died. 
We will make this church a safer place as possible while realizing that a group of imperfect people will never achieve perfection. Church is messy. We will contend for the supernatural power of God, laying hands on the sick, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and relying on the gifts and presence of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. We will challenge those who gossip, criticize, and sow dissension in God's church. We agree that God finds detestable a person who stirs up conflict in the community. In the words of Paul to Titus, we will warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. We'll be courageous to help the poor and marginalized and give the voiceless the chance to speak. We will be courageous in generosity, giving of our time, energy and finance to further God's kingdom on earth. We will empower the next generation who will take this church further than we can. We will reach out to people who don't know Jesus yet and welcome everyone who genuinely seeks God and desires to grow in their relationship with Him. We will disciple and release people to serve God and others with their God-given gifts. We will boldly preach the whole counsel of God, diligently studying God's Word and teaching its timeless truths. We will not shy away from the hot topics. We will not discourage honest questions. We will not condemn people when they fall into sin. We will always seek restoration and forgiveness. We will courageously love and empower people to become like Jesus. Amen. To empower people to become like Jesus. I see this as my number one priority uh, as a pastor leading this church to help you become like Jesus Christ. Out of all the things I do, I think this is number one. I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He's the guy that gave us the message, the message Bible, not the massage Bible. (laughs) Although it's great when you read it, it really feels good. Eugene Peterson, the church is not a business and pastors are not CEOs, not business leaders and not entrepreneurs. They are pastors of people called to nurture spiritual formation in the same direction. It's taken from his book, The Pastor, a memoir by Eugene Peterson. Eugene talks about the same direction as a, as a, um, a definition of discipleship. And so one of his books is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I love that title. That describes the Christian life. We start at a given point and then there's a long obedience in the same direction as I continue to walk toward Jesus and help you to do the same. And that's what all of our pastors and ministry leaders are called to do. In today's church, the pressure to be a CEO or business leader is huge. I resist it. The Lord's number one call on my life is to help a community of people become more like Jesus with all that that entails. That is all, and that is enough. Amen. In fact, you know what? That's the most satisfying part of what I do. People ask me sometimes, you know, I mean, some people don't think I do anything during the week, that that I'm just sitting around twiddling my thumbs and waiting for Sunday. I can assure you that's not the case. (laughs) I am on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and often respond to emergencies. But, you know, there's plenty of stuff. But out of all of the things that I do, the one thing I absolutely love is being part of the journey, working with the Holy Spirit 
in seeing people's lives changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus. That's got to be it. I want to read to you a couple of um, letters that I've received recently. These are two of the nicer ones. We get, get some of the others as well. But, you know, I've, wit- I've witnessed the transforming power of God in people's lives thousands of times in my 34 years as a pastor, and, and I never get used to it. It's always wonderful. So have a listen to these. Pastor Robin Christie, congratulations on 27 years of leading Bayside Church Melbourne. What a church, what a story. Although I have moved home to Colac, I still watch you on Sunday mornings. It was the church where I let go of hurts, issues, etc. It was a place where there could be freedom in worship and prayer. It was the church where I finally was able to be baptized. It was the church that changed my mind on my thoughts of the boys in Bali. Rob and Christy and team, keep building the best church. Much love. Amen. Dear Pastor Rob. Thank you. <laughs> Dear Pastor Rob, Pastor Christy, staff and volunteers of Bayside Church, I just want to send this note of gratitude and thanks for the lovely Bayside Church home. My family and I have had our lives transformed due to the wonderful and loving godly support we have received from the weekly messages with humour and amazing worship. Hopefully they're talking about me. (laughs) Amazing worship to the courses and connect groups, youth group, opportunities to serve. All these things have contributed to my personal transformation. This has in turn had a ripple effect on all other areas that we connect with. In addition, the staff have supported me through specific personal challenges and in God's name helped me to overcome some serious issues. I am so grateful to God for His generosity, love and healing in our relationships. Thank you also for challenging us to rethink our views and encouraging us to be loving and accepting of all people. Thanks be to our wonderful Lord and Saviour for each of you and the love and time you give in His name with love and gratitude. Isn't that beautiful? You know, no side that are so encouraging and they invariably land on a day uh, which is discouraging and so I see the grace of God in, in that. So courageously love and empower people to become like Jesus. And I want to finish with this. What is Jesus like? If we're to become like Jesus, what is Jesus like? I encourage you over the Christmas break to reread the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, with, with specific um, focus on what Jesus was like, how He's presented how he dealt with people, what, not just what he taught, but how he acted and, and be like that. Amen? So I want to summarize this under two headings. Jesus was like this, radical identification and radical difference. He radically identified with people, but he was also radically different. And we need to get those two in balance. So let's spend a few minutes looking at these two things before I wrap up. Radical identification has to do with proximity. He was up close. Unlike other religious people of Jesus' day, he lived up close and personal with people. He, was, he associated with those who respectable, pious people would usually shun, and it eventually got him killed. We're going to put uh, John chapter 1, 14 on the screen for you. This is from uh, Eugene Peterson's message, and I love the way he puts this. The Word became flesh and blood, and moved into the neighborhood. The Word, this John's word for, for God or divinity here. Deity became flesh. 
In other words, incarnate, was born into the human family and moved into the neighborhood. It's important that we see Jesus like that. Because yes, right now he's the ascended Christ, but God became flesh and he lived somewhere. He lived in a town. He had neighbors. He'd wander down to the shops. He had a job. All of those things. And we need to see that that's what he was like. He had, um, he was just like you and me, flesh and, flesh, flesh and blood uh, and, and, and life in community in the neighborhood. So Jesus got into the trenches. He got his hands dirty. He walked and talked with people. He wasn't afraid of being a part of their lives. He placed infinite worth on every human being. The common people, the everyday people heard him gladly. They loved his teaching. He saw everyone as worthy. He was merciful and deliberately went to places where mercy was needed and provided it. That's what Jesus is like. Be like that. He wasn't a party pooper. He turned water into wine when the wine ran out. He accepted an invitation to Matthew's party, even though there were undesirables present. He didn't fit into a stereotypical religious box. Jesus looked for ways to free people from rules and bondage. He lived and taught the law of love, love of God and love of neighbor. He humanized the poor and demonstrated God's incredible concern for their well-being and in so doing, decried those who ignored or dominated them. He spoke directly to women, something men would not usually do. The gospel showed Jesus speaking to women and doing so with tenderness and kindness. His ministry was largely supported by the financial offerings of his female disciples. It was to women that he made his first post-resurrection appearances. And we forget some of these things in our male-dominated patriarchal church world, even in the 21st century. I put a, a, a cartoon up on my Facebook page a, f- a few weeks ago. Some of you may have seen it, but it's got the women outside of the empty tomb, and they're standing there. They've just seen the resurrected Jesus. And then all of the male disciples are standing there, and the, and the caption is, we know he appeared you, to you first, but we'll take it from here. And that's actually a really good summary of the last 2,000 years of church history, sadly. Not only did he heal lepers, he also touched them, the most unclean people in Jesus' society. He used children as an example of what the kingdom of God is like. He spoke to, loved, and healed his racial enemies like the Samaritans. He even spoke of a Samaritan as being good. He helped Israel's oppressors. Centurions and tax collectors were not exempt from Jesus' kindness and attention. He even called a tax collector to be a disciple and to write the first gospel. He taught us to love our enemies and revealed what this looked like. In the words of the Apostle Paul, even though he had equal status with God, he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. That's what Jesus was like. Be like that. Radical identification 
radical purity. We're going to look at one last scripture, and this is uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 33 to 35. And, uh, and I absolutely love the truth that, that this brings out. Jesus is speaking here. He says, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. Fascinating. What we can learn from this, a couple of things. Number one, you can never please a religious person. If someone, if someone is um, uh, religiously legalistic, and we've all met people like that, uh, we've had people, they don't actually last long at Bayside, I found. We, we, we have too much freedom. They normally get offended really quickly and leave, which I think is wonderful for them and for us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, amen. <laughs> but you can never please them. They're unpleasable. Look at this. John the Baptist comes and, and he's rigorously holy, Right? The guy is living in the desert, he's living an aesthetic life, he um, he's, uh, doesn't eat much. If he eats, it's wild honey and locusts. So the guy never shaves, never cuts his hair, he, he's, he, and you know, if he ever smiles, there's kind of a locust leg sticking out and all sorts of stuff matted in his beard, right? So in 2,000 years ago, they would have looked at him as this incredible holy man but the religious legalists of the day said he's probably demon-possessed, according to Jesus. So Jesus comes along and he's completely the opposite to John. Where John didn't eat and drink, Jesus did. And, and he mixed and mingled with people. If people invited him to a wedding or a party, he turned up. And all the disciples went as well and they sat around and they had conversation and, and Jesus ate and had a drink and, and was mixing and mingling with the people and the religious are standing back going, hmm, drunkard, glutton. So you can never please these people. And then Jesus makes a stunning statement at the end. He says, wisdom is justified by all her children. Now, wisdom is always personified as female in Scripture. And what he's saying here is that the wise will understand the wise will look at John and they will work out why John came as he did. I was reading it in my devotional time this morning. John's, John's ministry, it was a bulldozer. He was a bulldozer for Jesus. He came, he came to make the high places flat and to fill in the valleys and to make the rough smooth and the crooked straight. So uh, he was just black and white. Uh, in his ministry. He was there to sort things out and to get things in order so Jesus could come in behind on a smooth, straight path and preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So the wise will understand why John came as John did and why Jesus acted as he did. The question I got to ask you today is, who are we called to be like? Are we called to be like John the Baptist or Jesus? That's right, Jesus. Some of you are a bit hesitant. It's not a trick question. You were in church, the answer is always Jesus. So we're called to be like Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't a glutton and he wasn't a drunkard. He was radical in his identification, but he was also radically different. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not sin. He's the sinless Son of God who lived a sinless life 
and then died for our sins on the cross and rose again from the dead. That's wonderful. So he wasn't sinning, but because of association, the religious thought he was guilty. Because of association with people, some people will make judgments about you. I've experienced that. Some of you have experienced that as well. When you get up close and personal with people, when you mix with, oh my goodness, those people, people will make judgments and they'll be wrong. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't ever try and defend himself. He's like, whatever. Be like that. Be like whatever. Mike Metzger, in his paper, Fine-Tuning Tensions Within Culture, The Art of Being Salt and Light, he puts it this way, being salt and light demands two things. We practice purity in the midst of a fallen world, and yet we live in proximity to this fallen world. If you don't hold both truths in tension, you invariably become useless and separated from the world that God loves. For example, if you only practice purity apart from proximity to the culture, you inevitably become pietistic, separatist, and conceited. If you live in close proximity to the culture without also living in a holy manner, you become indistinguishable from fallen culture and useless in God's kingdom. Challenging. Jesus put it this way, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus doesn't take us out of the world, church. He takes us and sends us into it to courageously love and empower people to become like him. That's what Jesus is like. Be like that. Amen. Amen. That is Vision 2020. Amen.